This week, I'm sharing with you another episode of Getting Better Acquainted Replayed, a strand of the show where I rebroadcast a selection of the first 100 episodes of Getting Better Acquainted. You can't find these episodes anymore on the podcast feed. For some reason, they get removed as we go forwards because you're only allowed a certain amount on the RSS feed. I was not told that before I signed up to SoundCloud and I am intending to migrate at some point in the future. So it might be that in the future you can get them on the feed. And that will be a mixed blessing for me because when I listen back to these early episodes... I'm really listening to a very different version of myself, a really different person. And quite often, that can be quite painful. It can be quite embarrassing, uh, retrospectively embarrassing. It can also be quite worrying for me in that I don't agree with the opinions that I espouse or the turn of phrases that I used. But it's not just a matter of changed vocabulary. I mean, I have changed a lot of my language since 2011 but it's not just the language it's the opinions and worse than the opinions are the kind of unaddressed unawareness of underlying social narratives that I am parroting without knowing it which isn't to say that back then I wasn't aware that there were loads of really toxic social narratives that were embedded within our world I guess back then I would have thought of it as the capitalist system I was however still unaware of a lot of it. And in fact, now I don't think of it as a singular system. I think of it as a number of systems and I'm much more educated around feminism, around race, around intersectional ideas, all sorts of things that I've learned. Like my knowledge of history is much better than it was back then. My understanding of what position I hold in society is very different now and I do not vouch for a lot of the things that my past self says in those episodes you can still find them all they're all there available that where you can go back and you can judge the past version of me for yourselves you can scroll back on the SoundCloud feed and you can hear me in my early days I listened to a couple of episodes before I selected the one that you're going to hear today and uh I, yeah, I, I, I find it really hard to listen back to that past self and not just for the reasons that I've outlined then, but also because he doesn't understand himself yet as much as I understand myself now. And I guess I don't understand myself perfectly now and I don't have a finalised political framework either. I'm sure I'll disagree with my own opinions and uh, see loads of uh, unaddressed social biases flowing through me when I listen back to my 2017 self. And listeners, if any of you have listened to me uh, that long since 2011 and you've listened to me change I mean I can only apologize for those early episodes and thank you for seeing something in me uh, worth sticking around with Uh, and hopefully I've got better at doing this show and got better as being a person I still have a very long way to go with both I'm sure but all of that said I'm not suggesting that what I'm going to share with you today is going to create grimaces in you all the way through for a start I've cut out a few of the things which I find I just can't just can't let be there anymore I don't agree with my past self all the time in this episode. For a start, I don't really rate the idea of truth that much these days. Listening back to myself, what I think I was getting at with the word truth 
is what these days I would call openness. And I kind of still stand by some of the more pretentious things that I say in this episode if you overwrite the word truth with the word openness. Before I hand you over to me handing over the job of being the host of the show to my childhood friend Alex, I do want to remind you that my life is in a very different place. I live a very different life now. Um, and so any references to what I'm doing, my life is completely different from that in loads of ways. If you're a first time listener, listen back to recent episodes and you'll get more of an idea of what I do now and who I am now and what is kind of a part of my life now. And that's one of the things that I find really interesting about this conversation. You're hearing me interviewed when I did a different job, when I thought of myself as a different person. This show has given me an opportunity to be reminded of those things, even if I don't always enjoy that reminder. Hello. Okay. I'm Alex. I'm the guy Wait. who's putting all this stuff together. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, you can, I guess you can say that. Right, so here's your brief. Okay. Oh, we're recording now. Yeah, we are. Okay. Here's the format of the show. So you, when you start, you say today we're getting better acquainted with, and then you say the person. Okay. The first two questions are how did I meet you, uh, or they meet you, and what do you do now? Okay. At approximately 55 minutes, and this is completely up to you because it depends if you want it to run long, like mm -hmm. the one we just did. Mm -hmm. I let I let run long, but at approximately 55 minutes is when you ask, do you have anything you want to plug? Okay. You have responsibility for the mic. So you can move it around, do whatever you like. You will be able to hear it through the headphones. And you are completely responsible for leading and structuring the conversation. Got you. You decide on the topics. Okay. Often I say at the end, it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you, but I forgot to do that in your one just now. But it was. And uh, <laughs> you asked me to say goodbye to the audience. You could cut it short if you wanted to. It's really your decision. So here okay. are the headphones. Weird. <laughs> Changing of the guard. And you will now experience what I've been experiencing in the interview that we've just recorded, I guess. Right, okay. <clears throat> right, what do I start with? I just gave you a brief, <laughs> mate. You should have paid more attention. If you, what, what, who are you? What do you do? Ah, okay, I think I've got it. I need to get better. Make me better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you Hello listeners Welcome to a very special episode of Getting Better Acquainted with me, your guest host, Alex Today I'm going to be interviewing A man <laughs> <laughs> By the, by the name of David Pickering, dear old friend of mine. Uh, so, let's begin. David, what do you do? I always have a lot of social anxiety about this question when I'm asked it at parties. One of the reasons I put it into my show is because I wanted to give people kind of context for the person they're going to be listening to afterwards, and it's mm -hmm. kind of a good shorthand. Mm-hmm. The reason I have social anxiety is because I want to say I'm a writer, or I want to say I'm, well, it's even worse than that, even more pretentious, I want to say I'm a creative person who does all of these lots of different things. I guess an artist is what I would say, 
although when you say you're an artist people think you paint but that's what I would want to say that's the primary thing that I think I am and I do and I do it all the time even when you know living is 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 the same as making art isn't it so I mean you know it's all, all oh god I'm sounding ridiculous already wow this is how I must feel to be other people what I do for a job at the moment is I'm an early years library outreach worker which means I do story and song sessions with children under five on behalf of the library service got a bit practiced at that these days that I don't mind saying at parties used to be really annoying at parties because you'd have to say I'm a library assistant that's what I've really done in my working life but I I don't mind this early years library outreach worker thing because it sounds weird and it's interesting as I don't mind talking to people about it at parties. I didn't like to talk to them about shelving books, but I'm quite happy to talk about doing something really important for the community. Mm -hmm. Do you think you have an inbuilt genetic preference for helping people with art? That's a really interesting question. For helping people with art? Well, I mean, I suppose in my job, that's kind of how I look at it. Like, I'm I'm there to kind of improve their experience of music and improve their making of it do you feel like when you're entertaining young kids that you've got a natural sort of feel for helping them express well helping them learn about the world through song and stories i guess so it's interesting the thing i think makes me where i'm good at my job and i i think i am quite good at my job where i'm good at it is the fact that i think i have a natural affinity for connecting with people Mm. so I I don't always do it well (laughs) in my personal life but I I'm I'm very aware of audiences Mm. when I'm performing and I like to try and make it very personal between me and the audience so even if I'm writing and I'm in a room writing the thing I'm writing I'm always trying to communicate that to the audience and when I'm on stage, I'm obviously much more personally able to directly look at them. And I'm, I've, I've studied theatre and I'm naturally this way inclined. And in a group, I am really good at... I look at all of the different children. I um, involve all of the different children. I'm really aware of where the tension points are, where people are fidgeting, where, where, you know, because they're, they're children under five, so where they're fidgeting, I know who the fidgeting people are, and I've also got all of the parents in the room with me, mm-hmm. and I'm aware, I'm playing to two different audiences, I'm playing to two different levels, and I think I'm really good at being in the moment, I like being in the moment best, mm. because, because there's no self-doubt there, you just, you you do the thing or you don't do the thing. And so you're stuck. You just have to be there, and that's what I'm. That's what I'm good at doing. I'm good at being there and connecting with them and trying to engage them with the art side of it, I guess. But it's not my art. I'm. I'm not reading my art. I'm not singing my songs. So there is a level of detachment there that isn't there in the stuff I normally do. Mm. But it's interesting what you say about genetics. If I'm genetically predisposed towards this, because I, my mum is a, was a social worker and a nurse. And I now work in that kind of area. I, I part of my job is there's a social element, social work element to it. I'm engaging with the community and trying to help people in often very disadvantaged areas to engage with their children and their children's literacy and their children's artistic development and emotional development and that sort of thing. And my mum also is a 
painter, she's a, an artist as well. My dad is a writer and he works in documentary filmmaking, so there's definitely on both sides of my parenting a streak of art and also on my mum's side a streak of social connection. My dad's very political as well, so there's I get a social conscience in a different way from his political way of looking at the world that I kind of grew up with. Mm. I don't know if it's nature or nurture, but I think there is definitely a genetic element to the skills I have within my working life and within my real working life, which is creating stuff outside of work. Yeah. How did we meet? How did I meet you? How did you meet me? Well... We've already done this We've question. done... We, it's it's always weird on the second... I've done two with a few people, and it's, yeah, it's the same answer, I guess. We met at school in Cardiff. Well, we met because of school in Cardiff. And I think it's really interesting that the first conversation that we had was about art mm. and we haven't really stopped and it was about art and society and I don't think we've stopped having that conversation we've been having a 15 year conversation about art and society really mm. it's been very valuable to me it's changed a lot of the ways I think and it's shaped a lot of the ways I think yeah, me too yeah the name David yeah comes from the Hebrew mm-hmm. and it means beloved yeah so I and hear. heroic do you ever feel any pressure to live up to your namesake what King David well <laughs> yeah partially but maybe at one point King David but far far back in history but like did your parents name you after someone who they really liked I don't think so. I I don't know if they were thinking because they're not religious. Mm. They're not they're not Jewish and they're not Christian. <laughs> so the, I don't know if the biblical connotations would have had much of an influence on their decision. I suspect, like most parents, they just like the name. The way I feel about my name, I mean, I call myself Dave rather than David. Mm-hmm. I don't really know why. I think it's a bit like wearing glasses; it just reduces the intensity. Dave's a bit more cuddly. David is a bit more kind of like you say, like it's a kind of it's a bit more of a high status name. I don't, I don't like that because okay. it puts too much pressure. <laughs> when I when I always heard the biblical stories about David and Goliath and King David after that. I always kind of, you know, like you do, he's got the same name as me, so you identify with him more, and Mm. the whole David versus Goliath myth appealed to me greatly, because, you know, he he outwits a big, tough guy by using his brains, and that's one of the romantic ways that I would like my my life's narrative to be. (laughs) (laughs) I'm now older and have less of the... A belief in my own ability to be heroic that I may have had when I was a kid but heroism weirdly certainly was something I was obsessed with when I was a kid I was really into the Lord of the Rings I was really into Greek mythology and uh, Norse mythology and the idea of heroes but I liked the mythology and the Lord of the Rings as well because they were compromised heroes they were like David and David and Goliath they were hobbits or they were flawed 
because they you know they were they that, that flawed heroes I like and still do and try and occasionally write them although it's a hard thing to write I think a person who actually comes across to an audience is heroic it's hard to do mm-hmm. I, I often decide to make anti-heroes instead because you can kind of show how people could be heroic but without seeming like you're preaching as much but yeah I don't think they thought about it and I don't think that I've thought about it much oh the other thing I like about David is St David having lived in Wales for a lot of my life and being English it was nice that my name at least had some connection to the country that I felt most affinity to certainly growing up but probably still now okay alright I'll just consult my uh, list of questions here you might find some of them a bit weird that's that's absolutely fine I'm liking the fact that I don't know what's coming it's really exciting what would you say is the principal aspect of your personality the principal aspect of my personality yeah fucking hell um what sorry if these are no 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 it's good it's good before you came down I just looked on the internet for loads of questions because I couldn't think of any but I've, I've, I've thought of a few of myself but I was just like I'll just find as many questions as I can so uh, this one came up the principal element of my personality what do, what do we mean do we mean the str- the strongest yeah like the one that comes across to most people the so one that comes across to most people yeah like the one that I think it's the, I think okay, it's the okay well <laughs> I, th- I would imagine that the element of my personality that comes across the most to other people... And to yourself. Well, to other people it's probably intensity. It's not something I am happy about in some ways. It's not It's not how I would... If I was to design my personality from scratch, I probably would have turned down the intensity uh, a lot. I but th- it's something I've got. It's mm-hmm. something I am. And now I've got to the point where I kind of embrace who I am and my see my see my flaws as potential strengths as well and my strengths as potential weaknesses and try and be a bit more realistic about everything I don't think it's a flaw at all I mean I think it's a really good defining aspect to have since I started teaching I've noticed that most people when they first describe me for whatever that reason they say chilled out really yeah which is interesting. But is that the, it's students that say that? Yeah, and teachers. Because I used to think it was melancholy. I used to think it was uh, something just, you know, like that. So I, 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 I envy your intensity. You might say. So don't don't think it's such a bad thing. Well, I quite. I mean, I know what they mean about chilled out. It's not how I would describe you, but then <laughs> I know you in a very different context. But I mean, I guess that element of you that is able to be a bit detached I kind of envy because it's quite hard to never be able to detach yourself from a situation mm-hmm. like like I find this in conversations like sometimes I'm trying to say something nice but people take it so the wrong way because I'm just saying it so intensely like the the other day somebody I know was talking about an idea they had for a show that they might do in Edinburgh this person isn't someone who's in theatre. This is someone who's a, an, an older man 
who is just casually thinking about this, right? It's not, yeah. it's not, it's not something he has any experience in. It's just an idea he's got, and okay. I was trying to encourage this idea, trying to say, "All oh, right, here's an idea. Let's let's get stuck in. Where's the problems? Where's the things that we could do? You're going to need to think about health and safety, about this element, and if you really think that this element's really important, you need to build your whole show around that because otherwise, you may get to the end and, and not be able to put it in. You know, things like this, and." the temperature in the room and the conversation changed you know everybody was trying to stop me from talking because and he was getting quite defensive about it and I was trying to and the more and more that this was going on the more I was trying to became more important for me to say what I was trying to say and not have other people make it something else you know and and, and the more I tried to make it what I was trying to say the more that everyone in the room started thinking I was... Be- and, and he even used... I think he used the word discouraging, that I was discouraging him. Whereas, from my view, I was supporting him. And, and afterwards, Jen, Jen said to me, well, I know that you were trying to encourage him, but it was just a casual thought he had. And now it's on the table, and now you're picking it apart. And then you're, like, saying, oh, you need to... You know, here's, And, you know, he hasn't thought about this stuff. He's getting loads of things thrown at him. And and I you know and when she said that I completely understand why why everybody misread my intentions because the intensity that can come into it yeah you know, does that and I'm sure that that I mean that's probably even happened in mm-hmm. I would imagine that's happened in our friendship that mm. that you just said something casually and the next thing you're like oh why the fuck did I say that because now I'm in this big long conversation I mean I think it I think uh, your I think one of your other defining characteristics is probably committedness and whenever anyone has an idea with you you interrogate it properly and you you but you you never quite like it's you never quite take on an idea not wholeheartedly if you know what I mean like you never say to some someone says to you la 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 and you don't go like yeah maybe whatever like I do you know you always go either you're either a bit standoffish about it or you really get into the idea and sometimes you're a bit standoffish about an idea and you really get into it and then it becomes much much more consuming passion later on you always take that big leap of commitment it's like fall in love now <laughs> something like that <laughs> if you if it's, it's got to be love right right this moment you know which i think people may find a bit overpowering but i've always liked it Maybe like sometimes you know when we're writing a song together, and I go, "Well, what about this melody?" And you go, "Like, no, don't like it." Um, but I, you, I don't, you I don't do feel that like too. I do, I do it as well. But you, but you get more, you interrogate it more, and you get more intense about it. I suppose what I'm saying is like, uh, if anyone brings anything to you, like when I first brought Echo to you, you were like, you slightly turned your nose up against it, or you slightly, slightly, um, or when I brought content to you. Well, and and you were like, well, it wasn't hardly developed, and you totally helped me develop it. But yeah. you were like, oh, rah, 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 and you, then you just you just laid into it in a, in a in a positive way. You do a lot of positive laying into things, I think, and uh, a lot of constructive laying into things. Well, I think you're always sincere, aren't you? That's the the thing. Where no matter how intense it is, it always comes across as sincere. Uh, but that's the problem. If you if you come across as sincere and it's negative, then that can really upset people sometimes. 
it puts a bit more charge to a criticism that I might give than would be to somebody who didn't seem so sincere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, if I don't like you, like you say, you, you say when I, that you should sample me saying, fuck off. Because I say it so aggressively and like commit to the swearing. Sometimes it's about really mild things, it's, and it's like a you know a, you know I recently realised you know that that's yeah it, it's it's just it's more shocking than I think it is because I just think it's a throwaway swear word, but people go whoa, there's, suddenly there's kind of a sense of violence in the room, and you know that's just the way it is. I was watching an interesting documentary last night about something called the warrior gene. Apparently there's this gene in our genome that is, if you have a shortened version of it, you're more likely to lose your temper and you're more likely to get into fights and stuff like that. It's not all totally across the board, Mm. like there's Buddhist monks with this gene and stuff. And there's mixed martial arts fighters who don't have it, or there's these really hard gang members that don't seem to have this gene, so it's quite a weird one. A theme of this series, really, because I'm making it, is about trying to deal with your kind of genetic predispositions and my mum is a very intense person and she can get very angry and I'm a very intense person and I can get very angry and her mum I don't know how intense she was but she can get very angry and it's just something that that I have to kind of come to deal with I think that generally speaking I filter it quite well Mm. like I use it hopefully in the best possible way Mm. but it's definitely a gene whether it's a warrior one or not that I have to try and come to terms with and try and find ways of not getting angry with people I mean I'm quite good in that only a few people in a small sphere of my friends have had to deal with me being really angry they're my closest friends generally so you've you've known me be very angry Jen has all of my family have sometimes but I'm I think I'm I mean part of it is in my family in some ways I'm I've held back you know I've, I've tried to be a moderator I've tried to be a peacemaker but having that anger at the back of my mind and then taking it out on people who are have no business being involved in being shouted at. You just defer it. I mean, at school, that was part of the reason I got bullied so much is because I would get really angry with the people who were bullying me. Mm. And they love that. They fucking love that. That's yeah. their, that's their, that's what they want. But you're giving them exactly what they want yeah. Yeah. if you do that. But that was because I wasn't getting angry at home. So, I, I you know, the anger comes out somewhere. Mm. And you, I mean, it's, I, I think it's a really continual task to try and find a way of uh, controlling it. I mean, I've been thinking more and more about kind of cognitive behavioural therapy, trying to catch myself before the moment. If I'm getting angry, I have somewhere in my brain an objective thing saying, you're getting angry because you've got this genetic thing and you've got to just look, move away. Don't do this. You know, mm. step back. You'll regret it later. You're only going to be feeling miserable because you've done this. You know, just sort yourself out. But I mean, it can be a useful power as well, can't it? Anger can be a tool, I think, said, said The Clash. And that's something I've always really liked in you. Just in general conversation where you'll be like talking about a film and I'll be like, I don't really like this film very much. And then you'll go shit <laughs> really crap and you'll just give a really passionate kind of like devastation of it 
and I really enjoy your yeah passion's in, fine in, in that way no, but passion's it's, but it's, fine but it's, it's the same place it comes from yeah. the same place but it's got to be I mean it's it, it, I mean it's like what you say anger is a tool can be a tool so you've got to use it right you've got to learn how to use that tool and make sure that you're not using it against people who can't deal with it to, to make sure you're not using it against yourself because I'd say the person who suffered the most at the hands of my anger over my life has been me mm-hmm. you know you've got to learn how to use that tool and make sure that you're you're not using a sledgehammer to bang in a nail that's always been my flaw I, I, I tend to end up being the sledgehammer that's banging in a, a nail rather than a small little hammer you know if you could have a room full of any one thing what would it be I don't think I would be satisfied with any room that only had one thing in it. But it could just be full of anything. If I was a genie and I was going to give you Can a room. Can I come in and out of this room? Or do I have it's, to it's, live all it, my life in this room <laughs> with these things? No, no, no. It's, it's, it's like... No, of course, yeah, it's just, it's, um, it's a room, like any other room, it's just full of anything that you want, and you can, and, but it's only one thing, and you can go there and leave there any time you like, it's just an addition to your life, it's not putting you in a room with only, only just one thing. Can it be a kind of existential... Like, Maybe. Um, uh, if I could, if I had a room where if I went into that room, I felt calm. That would be what I would like. A room where I could go and guarantee, doesn't matter how I feel before I go into that room, I'm going to be calm so, um, and uh, peaceful. A room full of force fields that change your mental, mental state maybe whatever you have to if you if it has to be real then yeah that's the, I guess the only way to do it but it's really about like just because I mean it, in a way what we've been talking about is the fact that I'm really there in a moment a lot of the time and I'm, I'm really there and it's really on and uh, I, you know because of that I have a always have a, a craving to be turned off hmm. for the off switch I think there's a there's a line in a Tennessee Williams play Cat on a Hot Tin Roof where the character Brick talks about drinking whiskey to the point where he gets a click in his head that makes him peaceful. Mm. I played I acted that part in A level drama. And you know, obviously he's an alcoholic, it's not a positive thing. <laughs> but 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 I I empathised with that desire for a click in my head to make me peaceful. And I find my ways of doing that, I guess, in my life, where I can. Okay. And if I said to you, it has to be a physical object that exists in the real world now, what would it be? Well, <sighs> practically, money. Because whilst I'm ideologically opposed to money, it would help me out a hell of a lot, and I would just be able to do what the hell I liked. And I could, you know, I wouldn't. Ha- I, I love my job, but I wouldn't have to do a job at all. And uh, I think if I had the choice, and if I didn't have to do something to make me money, I would stop doing that job because I work so hard on my other stuff. It's not like I don't work. Room full of gold. Yeah, I guess gold or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. 
Cheese. I like <laughs> cheese. Who was the last person you punched? It's an interesting question. I don't think I've ever punched anyone in anger. So, and this is going to sound really bad. So if we're talking about who was the last person that I did the action of forming my fist, in, my hand into a fist and banging it into somebody else, then probably Jen. <laughs> probably did it yesterday but I do it all the time but I don't hit her hard uh, <laughs> just affectionate just affectionate kind of punch in the arm yeah. or just you know I do that to my mates a lot I can, I can I get quite a, physical I think that's an important thing for a man to do to a woman <laughs> <laughs> well I think to other men I think it's a way of communicate. It's, it's a way of connecting with somebody else Yeah. just that physical bump thing yeah, um, but actually punching someone I don't recall ever punching someone like at school I, I, I did a few things to people that hurt them but they were always in an attempt not to punch them if people listen to the Cardiff episode they can hear that those stories and uh, you've heard them all before okay. but I mean yeah I, I, I don't think I've ever punched anyone like that I, maybe I must have done when I was a kid actually I remember oh fuck I remember I remember going down... Right, in my primary school in Coventry, there was a big field where we all played on, and slightly silly planning, it kind of curved down in a hill at Mm -hmm. the end, so if you went right down by the hedges, you couldn't be seen by the teachers. So me and a kid called Tom, for a few weeks... We'd go down to the hedges, I must have been about nine, and just beat the shit out of each other. Just break time, just a whole lot of break time, just punching each other. And it was kind of a, it was a mucky fight, but there was a level of, it was a bit, it was like a cross between a mucky fight and fight club. Mm. But then we just stopped doing it because I think one of us hurt the other one too much and it was upsetting and you know that's how that's how people learn not to be violent I guess to, yeah. to, to, to explore it when they're, they're children so I, I must have punched people when I was a kid as an adult I don't remember punching anyone okay. and even as a teenager I don't remember it could have done it could have done it I don't remember it okay which historical character do you hate the most In the heat of the moment, I hate a lot of people, but in consideration, I don't hate any human being's personality, who they are. I hate what they do. I hate their actions, but I don't think it's helpful to put someone up onto a kind of inverse pedestal of being some kind of the worst example of humanity because it makes it suggests it's a bit like your Neanderthal thing it suggests that they're separate from us it suggests that they are somehow a different species that have no connection to us and that we could never do that I mean that's yeah that's the answer really no no one no one okay which which sounds really worthy and I don't don't (laughs) want it to sound worthy but it's just you can't change truth 
because you don't want to sound worthy. Good quote. <laughs> what are your favourite qualities in a woman? My favourite qualities in a woman are probably exactly the same as my favourite qualities in a man. It's just I'm more likely to want to sleep with a woman than with a man. Kindness, originality, empathy, a sense of humour and a sense of fun and I guess you know just knowing that it's not arrogant I'm not against arrogance as such because everyone's got a bit of that in them but not thinking they're better than other people on a basic level not in the moment we all think we're better than other people in the moment but there are some people who think they're better than other people full stop mm. and that is really repellent so whatever the opposite of that is I really like and you know physically in terms of qualities I mean uh, blonde hair well no I'm, <laughs> I, I'm attracted to such a variety of different appearances do you feel lucky to have experienced your hero's work or do you think that someone else would have done something just as good in different circumstances anyway What do you mean? You mean, um, do I feel lucky to have heard and seen and read the great works of art that people have done mm -hmm. that I really believe in? Yes, I feel lucky about that. That's that's a great privilege to be exposed to things that fascinate you and engage you and move you and uh, inspire you. Do I think other people would have done stuff just as good, good. if the heroes didn't exist? Yeah. Yes, but then there would be different heroes. There are a million lights in the sky. <laughs> those heroes are better realised. They're just one of those lights too. But there's so much good stuff out there that if I hadn't read or seen or heard the stuff for the people I've heard, then I would have seen something else that's inspiring. People inspire me in just in conversation. They don't just have to be artists. That's one of the things I've reminded myself and really investigated through this project. The world is itself inspiring. So even if I was in a world where there was no artists at all and it was just me on my own, I would find in things that were engaging and moving and powerful just in the, in nature. Mm. I saw a documentary the other day about chimpanzees and this one scientist said that he believed that he'd seen a chimpanzee and videotaped a chimpanzee having a spiritual reaction to something. Mm. It was a storm brewing or something like that and he just caught on camera this chimpanzee just jumping about and getting into this weird trance-like state for no other reason than that the clouds were forming and it was about to rain he'd observed this on a number of occasions and then he videotaped it and he was going like what is this chimpanzee doing you know how do we explain that one thing I wonder about sometimes is what's all the art in the world that hasn't been made when we look at the work of great artists they're usually quite aristocratic and they're quite lucky in a lot of ways. So maybe 
of all the great art that we could have produced over the centuries, maybe we only get like a really small percentage of it. And one of the conversations we had as kids was I said, Oasis are a great band, they're destined to be a great band. It's not just luck, it's that they've got this inherent ability in them and that's why that's why it happened to them. And you said something along the lines of, no, that's just the image. There's probably some guy on a hill in Russia somewhere who's written this fantastic song mm. that you'll never get to hear because he hasn't had the opportunity. Well, I, I definitely still agree with that. In fact, I agree with that more and more the older I get. So much about art is luck, as well as skill and talent and all those things. People who we really admire were just lucky and they were in the right place at the right time and then they got to a point where because of their luck they could interrogate their art to a greater degree because they had more resources more opportunity to collaborate with people an ability to find other like-minded people easier because they were having a degree of success to start with and I look around at my friends and the art that they produce and I think I'm quite objective about this stuff. I know it's hard to be completely objective about your friends or your family and what they make, but certainly I don't like everything my friends do. But some of that stuff is definitely as good as the stuff that's successful. A lot of people would say, well, yeah, but they didn't have the thing in them that made them persevere. They don't necessarily have the thing that's making them push, because it isn't just luck, it's also tenacity. But I can't say that I am an untenacious person I'm very tenacious whatever the word is I'm always trying to get my shit out there to people and I'm always pushing but I don't think that that means it will guarantee my success and I don't even know if I'm interested in success in the same way anymore anyway I'm quite happy if I just get to do this series and uh, it gets out to a hundred people or whatever a week then that's fine I mean that's an audience and it makes me happy and creatively fulfilled and it makes them happy and creatively interested and so what what more can you want I mean obviously more audience but I mean at the end of the day if I don't get it I don't mind so much but I mean coming back to the less about me and more about artists in general I just think that yeah there are so many great people out there there are so many tenacious people out there it's just very rare that one of them is lucky the more opportunities we have for everyone to make art and the more leisure we have in our lives to enable us to be able to make art the more great art is being made the more human beings are expressing themselves and that does put us in a situation where how can any of those become as successful universally as in the past that now we can all use the internet to get out there then in a way it means that we're going to just have reduced audiences but that's not a bad thing because human beings are all in equally interesting in, well not equally interesting but potentially as interesting as each other and so it's great that there's all these people making this stuff what I don't like is that it's not the stuff that is being pushed and sold to us often mm-hmm. I could deal with the fact that loads of artists who are great will never become successful if the artists who were successful were all great but so many of them are not great Mm. that's what's frustrating it's frustrating when you see someone who is mediocre but because of the media system behind them because of the promotional system behind them they will become very successful financially very successful in terms of reach and that there's all of these 
much better people who aren't getting out there to people but you can't bang your head against that forever you know you just have to accept that I mean in lots of ways society as we have it is unsustainable anyway so I mean you know really getting enraged by elements of where we're at now is is is, is a real waste of effort I often think because we don't even know where we're going to be in 10 years we don't know what art is going to be what society is going to be but I mean yeah it still pisses me off on a similar note if you could get rid of all the songs from a particular singer who would you delete and why well if I had the power to do it I wouldn't do it (laughs) I I, I, I mean I like that response I I love to to talk about how much I hate individual singers but and artists and but that's not fair I'm not I'm not pro censorship if I could delete promotional companies maybe I would do that more I mean maybe I would want to get rid of Simon Cowell I would prefer to get rid of than Leona Lewis mm. because Leona Lewis might be a really great singer if, he, if Simon Cowell wasn't around moulding her into the image of what he thinks will sell the gatekeepers I'm not saying I don't think that there should be people promoting stuff and editing I think editors are a mate like as a writer I would love to have an editor because they they do a great job artists aren't very good at noticing all of the things they sometimes get too caught up in their work you need someone with an objective eye to take your work and to mould it and to help you and and directors are the same you know all of these things they're great they're great roles so not all gatekeepers are bad the fact that they have become gatekeepers is the problem the fact that these roles have become barriers for interesting art getting out there I used to get really annoyed by Robbie Williams but you know, I heard him on this documentary with John Ronson where they went out looking for people who'd seen aliens. And I just thought, you know, actually, he's just like the rest of us. He's just trying to work it out. Sounds like a nice guy. I wouldn't mind going for a drink with him. Mm-hmm. It's like politicians, you know, you, you get really annoyed with them and then you sort of think, yeah, but if they weren't doing these terrible things to our public services, then they might be a nice person to go for a drink with. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess it is. I mean, The Wire is the best example of this. The Wire TV series shows you that everybody within the system is just a human being struggling within that. That's the problem in music. It's, it's natural for humans to go, oh, that person is fucking annoying me. Like, I, I hate what they do. But, but I don't like fakers. They're the ones I don't like. You're just being true. That if I want, you know, I just want more truth to be the objective of 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 people. <laughs> okay. Why don't you like mushrooms? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, well, it's interesting to me. Uh, not necessarily to audiences, but I, I don't know why I don't like mushrooms. It's a real physical response to the texture and the taste that it just is really repellent to me. Mm. I accidentally ate a mushroom the other day. I thought it was like on a platter of different foods, and I was like, oh, this thing that's got breadcrumbs around it, what's that? And I I bit into it, and I was like, what the hell is this? Or is it scallops? And at first I thought, it's scallops. So it can't completely be the texture, because initially I didn't... You know, I've I've eaten scallops. They're Mm. okay. (laughs) But at the same time as I bit into it, my mate said, that's a mushroom... And I don't know if then the physical reaction I had afterwards was because of the fact that he said the word mushroom or was because of the fact that the taste came a little bit later on in the experience of biting into the mushroom. I mean, it Mm. does, because you've got the breadcrumbs first, then you've got the texture, then you get hit with the taste. So I really don't know. 
I wish I did like mushrooms because everybody puts them in food and I hate picking them out and I don't like to be fussy about food because I like generally all food apart from mushrooms and uh, olives and also people often they, they give you mushrooms and like they're, they're really proud they don't really they know this, this they think they, they're giving you a really nice meal and for them it is it's a really nice meal it's like the equivalent of being given like some really nice meat or cheese for me like I, they, they, they think wow you know I'm giving them and you don't want to disappoint them you don't want them to mm-hmm. to have you know, shat in your pl- on your plate and served it to on you. your platter. Yeah, but I mean that's what it is like a little bit for me. It's disgusting. I really, really don't like mushrooms. Uh, I don't know why. Because I used to hate baked beans up until about hmm, ten years ago. We would never touch baked beans, and it's because we got forced to eat them in nursery school. No, I, I, yeah, I mean I don't think I was forced beans. to eat them. I don't think that. I, I mean I don't remember being forced to eat them. I mean maybe it was that when we didn't like things my mum didn't give them us you know sometimes you have to acquire a taste don't you and maybe I failed to acquire that taste but I acquired a lot of tastes in later life that I didn't have when I was a kid and mm. mushrooms just not being one of them and I have tried a lot of times and just saying the word mushroom makes me feel a bit sick actually <laughs> yeah this is intense interview <laughs> yeah god yeah, no more mushroom questions man I can't deal with them Okay, important question now. Yeah. You have the choice to live with a gorilla who knows sign language yeah. or a dog who can sing lullabies. Which do you choose and why? Well, gorilla that knows sign language because if the dog's singing a lullaby and I don't want to hear that lullaby, then I can't stop the dog from making that sound because he can't communicate with me as a dog and he can't understand my... Assuming you could, uh, you know, just tell the dog to be quiet as like any other dog that you could reasonably control. Ah, well, then a dog, because I like dogs, and I don't know if having a gorilla in my house would be a very uh, safe thing to be... I mean, I like gorillas, I'm not like prejudiced against gorillas, but they have they have a place and it's not my house. And I don't understand sign language, so I couldn't communicate with the gorilla. I could, if I can communicate with the dog and tell the dog to shut up when it's annoying me, then uh, that's fine. And dogs, you know, they give you un- unconditional love, and that's that's always a engagingly egotistical thing to experience as a, a human being. Okay, what do you think is the most overrated human virtue? Hmm. Hmm. Confidence. Confidence? Hmm. Why? Well, not because confidence is itself a bad virtue to have. It's a it's a really I'm really pleased for all these people who have it in abundance and I, I have it around certain areas of my life. But just that 
Do you mean because it's kind of like a... It obscures everything else. So people just think, oh, that person's confident and they, they get more. So if someone is confident, they get more. Okay. And I don't think that that's enough of a criteria for them to get more. Mm. So if somebody is the kind of person who asks for their food to go back in a restaurant because they don't like it, then, you know... Then they get the nice food and somebody else doesn't say it and they don't get the nice food and I, I think what needs to happen is for everyone to get the nice food to start with I, I mean that's a no, that, that stupid that's, analogy but, but I mean do you mean it like in the kind of like public school confidence kind of way I guess it's yeah it is a class it is there is a class thing it is definitely the, the, the if you are yeah if you're confident and you feel that you are entitled to stuff then you get more and that's not fair but it is a quality that everyone aspires to and everyone admires it. And, mm. you know, if someone is confident, then everyone you know, is in awe of them and, and, and all this stuff. And I mean confident. Like, the thing about me is I'm not confident. I'm insecure, and that makes me sometimes seem confident. But there's an edge, there's an edge to me, and that won't get me what I want. My kind of confidence doesn't get you what you want. So, I mean, I can say, oh, yeah, I'm... Like I, I, I find it really hard when people say if someone says they like something that I do, I find it really hard not to say, oh yeah, I really like that too. Which is not <laughs> that doesn't come across as modest, does it? And then people don't like. And modesty is quite an overrated quality as well. I think modesty often means that the person is uh, is is not not being true with themselves or not being true with the other people. I don't, yeah, but confidence is is probably more overrated. But I mean, I don't. That's a good one. But but again, I mean. These qualities in themselves are not a problem. It's the way that they uh, function within society and the way that... I mean, that's how I... It's like, on a personal level, my flaws are neutral. They're not actual flaws. They're just a quality, and I can take them to a positive level or a, a negative level. And it, the confidence is the same, you know. There, there are lots of people who went to public school who are are aware of their privilege. And if they are trying to get equality within society as well then that's fine you know the, the 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 divisions are just put there by society that's something i learned from going to university i guess and meeting people less complicatedly middle class mm. so <laughs> i'm no longer of an age where i can just dismiss another class of person you know i now see the system as the problem again it's the game not the player well I think you've always said that really yes I've always said that but I've often then gone off on a massive rant I'm trying for my rants to be a little bit more ones I agree with when I hear them back okay did you know that Mother Teresa once had an exorcism no I didn't know that okay (laughs) she did because she was plagued by a doubt about God and stuff and she got a proper um, exorcist style exorcism late in her life well there we go <laughs> it's an interesting fact just imagine if you had like interview shows like that where you know just famous <laughs> people just came on and the, the host just went did you uh, did you know this thing you know that'd be it I, I'd watch that show I think that's good for it I think the same What's the worst record you've ever made? It was called Illegal and Beautiful. It was 
a record that I made when I was in the most unhappy year of my life. The year before you told me that I'd lost my inspiration. I just finished university, I was doing a job I hated, I was very miserable, I was spending all of my time upstairs in my attic room in the shared house I was in and I was trying to learn how to make music on my own but I had I, I didn't have the confidence to try and use an instrument so I was making this music out of cut up bits of samples it's very useful for me in terms of learning how to use the software but the music that I made was very experimental inaccessible I was very much within my own bubble when I made it so it was only kind of connecting with really me and I can't even listen back to it now most of it there's a couple of songs which are promising but that's as far as they go but yeah they weren't songs they were just messes of sound that was the worst album I've made definitely good title though yeah, great title. Came from Henry Kissinger. Can't remember what he said it about, but I think it was about American foreign policy must be illegal and beautiful or something. I don't mm -hmm. know. It was from the uh, relations with uh, Indonesia, I think. Ah, that's what you told me. Yeah, 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 yeah probably was. I, I forget everything. People think I don't, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite Beatles song? The Beatles all together. Yeah, it's across the universe. A Beatles song, or a, I think it is. Yeah, yeah across the universe. Then. Okay. If you were standing for Parliament, what would your slogan be? Well, I've often thought about the idea of kind of half-jokingly standing for Parliament. It would be sincere if I got elected, but it, the whole point would be to stand on the premise of we're all flawed human beings, I am one of you, I'm flawed also, we all can only do the best we can, and so basically if you let me, I'm going to try my best, but I'll make mistakes, but I'll be completely open about them and honest with you guys, and you can hold me to account as much as you like but sometimes I'm going to ignore you if I think best, but only for a little bit of time. Just be kind of politician and someone says, well, well, well did you think this? And then you go, oh, no, I hadn't thought about that, actually. Good point. Uh, actually, I'll change my policy now because I'm wrong. All these apologies that you get which are insincere and not true. I'd like to hear a politician say sorry, really. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and one thing I find in, in, in conversations when I'm in an argument, something I enjoy doing, and so maybe it's not true, maybe I'm not really doing it because I just enjoy the response that it creates, but I enjoy just saying, oh no, sorry, I'm wrong, you're right, I've changed my mind. Mm. Like I do this on message boards sometimes, it really annoys people because they're like, they're just gearing up for a massive argument and I'm like, oh no, I see your point, good point. You know, I'm wrong, sorry, I'm, uh, I'm a human being like the rest of us. What I mean, I'm always a bit ridiculously kind of, it's just ridiculous to always be saying I'm a human being like the rest of us. Obviously, I am. It shows a level of kind of arrogance beyond arrogance, like meta arrogance. I don't know. Fucking ridiculous. You could say it could be, I could be wrong. Yeah, I could be wrong. That would be a good thing to stand on. Yeah, yeah. You can be my publicist. What in your short life thus far do you suspect you've forgotten? Well, as. Phil Collins says, you know, I, I've forgotten everything. I don't trust any of my memories because I just think memory is too untrustworthy. So I'm not sure how many of my memories are misremembered, embellished, 
false memories. But the real problem with saying, what have you forgotten in your life, is that I can't remember anything that I've forgotten, can mm. I? Well, that's a, a sad suspect. Well, Which is I mean, I've definitely that. forgotten being born. I've definitely forgotten <laughs> most of my early years of life. I'm sure I've forgotten loads and loads of really great quotes, really good uh, ideas. And then, you know, with those sorts of things, you don't know, like with ideas, you don't know if maybe the idea you're having today is an idea you had 10 years ago that you've forgotten about that's just been waiting around in your subconscious and then just coming out of your mouth now. I remember plots quite well to stories and stuff like that. And I remember emotions quite well. In fact, I mean, I think actually I only really remember plots because I remember emotions really well. So I'm really good at remembering the emotion I felt when I was about this thing happening or that thing's happening. So I can often describe in detail some plots for books or whatever or films really, really well. But there will be films that I won't remember very well because I won't felt very much emotions when I was watching them. And I think that seems to be the areas that I forget. I I don't think I forgot. I think I I, I don't I don't know why I've forgotten, okay. but I think that. A lot. I think it's a lot. Okay. What do you think you should win an award for? What do you mean? What of my work so far to date deserves to win an award? Or what would I like to win an award for in the future? Or what about me is worth being given an award for? Like one all of, of the above. You can have three but, awards right. if you want. <laughs> three. You can have. You can have a. The okay. The best. Or okay. So in terms of my own work, I think this show is one of the best things I've ever done. It is the most natural fit to what I have on offer and I hope that it's also going to or can appeal to audiences I'd like to win an award for this show you heard it here first I'd like to podcast judges well I'm going to I'm probably going to pay the money that you have to pay to submit stuff to awards I'm probably going to do that for this show I think my solo album that I made that you did the mastering for is a very good album I don't think it's Mm -hmm. the best I'm going to write in my life but I think it's a great start to making good albums so it would please me if I got a going to get better but we see the promise but still better than anything you've done award but that's that's very weird award to win (laughs) Um, and I think that the science fiction novel that I wrote is also, like when I wrote that science fiction novel, I had a similar feeling at the end of it to how I feel about getting better acquainted. I don't care if this becomes successful, I know that I've done something good. And I'll always have that knowledge that I wrote something that I think is very good. And it got, mm. it did get some favourable responses from publishers, the kind of favourable responses that are really like this, but we can't publish it because it won't sell, which is nice but annoying but nice what award would I like to win I think I'd really like to win an Oscar (laughs) just because it would be cool to stand up in the middle of all of that nonsense and just I don't know just 
I don't know, it'd be an experience. I mean, if you're going to go for an award, you should probably go for the most award-like award, like the top of the game. Mm. And I think that would be the ultimate award ceremony experience. I've been to a few award ceremonies. I find them very difficult and weird, but... I, I do do think it's good to try and have weird and difficult experiences as a writer so an Oscar would be quite cool what about a knighthood no I would I would, I would say no to a knighthood um, what about an OBE no I'd say no to anything that's given to me by, by, by the monarchy and I'm not going to really I don't I can't even conceive of what quality about me is worthy of winning an award but just at the end of all of this nonsense about awards I don't really aspire to win awards. To me, an award is only a stepping stone towards an audience. The audience is what I want to win. And I don't even want to win them. I want to communicate with them. I'm not that interested in awards. As flattering as occasionally being nominated for awards and failing to win them is. <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't really care. Fair play. What's the biggest thing you've learned from me? That something being true isn't enough. You need to frame it in a way that will allow people to see that it's true. Okay. Like, it's not enough to just pour your heart out onto a page and call it a poem. It's not enough to just pour your soul out into a song. You have to make a framework that highlights what's important about what you're trying to say rather than just splurges out the thing okay took me a while to learn it off you but I did I think in the end yeah <laughs> well it took me ages to learn that myself I think you probably learned it simultaneously really uh, but it's like that Thing where you said that you've been saying it all the time and I'm like yeah but now I kind of understand it it's the same thing like you were saying it all the time I wasn't uh -huh, okay like I was very much of the kind of if it's real it's you know if it's real then it's real you know that that problem that so many artists begin with which I think is probably possibly to do with the way that we frame art within society and what we say is valuable about art and what is actually valuable about art are kind of different and so when you're making art you you think you have a false image of like you you see nirvana and you think that that just means that you can say about you what's miserable about your life and that'll be a good song well that's not what nirvana did nirvana took really hard things and made them really accessible i used to think that accessibility was was innate in truth but actually you have to find a way of of making that truth accessible to the audience. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not that you always pushed art towards that area in actually making it, but you do espouse that philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you worry that the Dave Pickering DNA stroke genes will not pass into the future of human evolution? No. Why not? I don't really see my genes as being that worth it I think I could make the best with my life but I don't think that that means if I had children that they would be 
They'd, they'd be fighting the same battles as me, and I don't want to see them fighting the same battles as me. It's hard enough for me fighting my own fucking battles, and I don't see myself as being that valuable to society and culture and the Even world. Even though you are quite see... public-spirited, generally all-round good guy and talented. Well, that's nice of you to say those nice things about me, and I, I do take them you know, as warmly because they're a compliment and all that. I don't think I'm that special in that regard. I think there's lots of, like I said, lots of talented people, lots of public-spirited people. It's the cultural system that means that they're not the ones who are pushing things in the right direction. There's other people in the wrong... And, you know, even if they are, then they can't do anything because they are hamstrung by the system around them. I mean, really, when we're talking about the future of humanity, I don't see much of it. In some ways, I, I I think we're running out of oil. We're we're very overly consuming. We're messing things up in really significant ways. Do I want my DNA to have to deal with not only their fighting against their own inner demons, but also fighting against an increasingly worse and worse outer demon kind of world? I don't I don't I don't I don't want to do that to somebody with my G. I find it hard enough to cope with the fact that my nieces and, and, and nephew are going to have to live in the future uh, I don't really want even closer connection to having to live in the future and you know I, you can't predict these things as well lovely people have terrible children terrible people have lovely children I don't think I'm lovely or terrible but I can't predict what, what my kids would be You know, I don't worry about it certainly I think you're quite lovely well, thanks. I, I don't. I mean, there's no. There's never a sense of. I don't see. You know, I just don't see it. Don't see why I would. Why that would be a thing to worry about. I get that people. If you, you know, you're not the only person who's suggested that kind of thing. My friend Clive always says, you know, it's the responsibility of, <laughs> in his view, good people. So I guess he considers me to be a good person to have children, so that more good genes are about rather than bad. But people grossly overestimate the quality of my genes and uh, underestimate the quality of other people's genes I think mm-hmm. okay Fair. what is your greatest fear when I was a kid it was not being like death but you know we know afterlife but I'm pretty cool with that now I get very claustrophobic in crowds. That freaks me out a lot. And uh, not being able to have control over my own personal space, that is that is something that is a great fear to me. I guess the people who I love... Yeah, OK, yeah, yeah, the people I love being hurt. That is my greatest fear. And, you know, I'm one of the people I love. So, But, it, you know, it happens anyway, regardless. Last question. Yeah. Is everything going to be okay? In what respect? In any, every respect. No. No. I don't think so. I mean, there has never been a time in history and there has never been a person, an individual in history, for whom everything has been okay. There's never been a time when everything's been okay. There's never been a person that's ever experienced okayness the whole of their life. It just is not realistic. It's possible for things to be better than they are. It's likely that they'll become much worse. Uh, 
You have moments of okayness. You have times of okayness. I'm in a time in my life at the moment where things are pretty okay. Yeah, it's not a right. It's not a given. It's not a definite that that there is never a moment when things couldn't become drastically worse, and there is never a moment when things couldn't become drastically better. Generally, my analysis of the world is that no, things are not going to become okay. But I could easily be proved wrong, and I wouldn't be surprised. All right. And do you have anything you wish to plug? Yeah, loads of things. I make music under the name The Dave. Uh, that's solo music. You can find that on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com forward slash the hyphen Dave. I make music as the plural with my mate Jack. We do one song in a day each month of this year, 2011. And that's at soundcloud.com forward slash the hyphen plural, I think. If you don't find it the first time, just take the hyphen out for all of these. Uh, I do, I've do. i got a pop duo that I do with a friend of mine called Haley called The Reactionaries. Um, our album is out online for free on soundcloud forward slash The Reactionaries, possibly with a hyphen. And we're making a second album sometime soon. Going to be produced by a great friend of mine called George, who had a lot to do with producing the first album as well. Obviously, I would plug this, but if you're listening to this, that you don't need it plugged. I'm hoping to set up a kind of variety night called Stand Up Tragedy that I will be doing regularly, hopefully, if that happens. If that's happened, check that out. I really, really recommend the book Don't Shoot the Clowns by Joe Wilding, which I think is... Uh, a great book about making art that can engage with political problems and try and help human beings to have greater love and empathy for each other, which I know makes me sound like a hippie when I say that, but I don't give a shit. <laughs> um, the Dispossessed by Ursula Le Guin is an excellent novel. You should read that. Alex turned me on to that. V for Vendetta by Alan Moore is a great graphic mm-hmm. novel. Alex didn't turn me on to that, but he did turn me on to Alan Moore. Both of those books are pretty much sum up how I feel politically about the world. So if you wanna if you wanna read them, why not? Orinx and Crake by Margaret Atwood as well, I would also endorse for similar reasons. Oh, and you should go to www.j adamthwaite.co.uk but that's Jen my girlfriend's writing she is absolutely excellent she's writing such a good novel at the moment which I really want to read all of but she hasn't finished it yet so I am waiting semi-patiently and semi-hasslingly for this those are the things I would plug and just generally because people do this general thing. I didn't ever expect them to do this with plugs, but it started and now I encourage it. Honesty, truth, empathy are the things that I think will help us all to get through life better. And so I just I'm just saying for me that's how I feel. Don't you know whatever you want to do in your lives, whatever. But I mean, for me, those things help, and I, I, I suggest considering doing them more. But I don't 
really like the idea of telling people to do them more. So they can do them if they want, but they should, but they shouldn't, you know, like that. So stand-up tragedy became more than just an idea. It became a thing. It became a thing that ran for five years and uh, is currently on hiatus. Podcasts in general, there's loads and loads of really good podcasts out there. It's a time when the gatekeepers are not there yet. So you can hear stuff before they get involved. So have a listen now before it becomes really commercial. And on that note, it's been get- a pleasure being getting... <laughs> it's a pleasure being, being getting... Kind of it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you, Dave. And, wow, uh, handshake. <laughs> you too, Alex. And it's that's it, it from this uh, special edition of Getting Better Acquainted. The thing that I have to plug now in this moment is The Family Tree, which is a podcast series which mixes fact and fiction together. It's a magical realist audio drama and its second season will be starting really soon, like next week or the week after or something like that. I can't actually tell you because the way that the second series is going to work is it's going to come out without warning. So if you subscribe to the podcast feed, you'll get new bits of story as they happen in time within the fictional world of the show. You can find it like you can find Getting Better Acquainted anywhere that podcasts go to hang out with each other on the internet or over on its website, www.thefamilytreepodcast.co.uk. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.